And y'all can be seated. Hey, how many of you enjoy a good game of darts? Or arrows, as they call it, across the pond? I want you to imagine something with me. <laughs> imagine trying to get a, a bullseye on a dartboard that is always moving. <laughs> Whatever we pay this guy, it ain't enough, right? <laughs> oh, but can you imagine that? And you say, why, why you bring that up, Scott? Well, I bring that up this morning because I believe that's kind of what, it, what it's like. If we look to the culture around us to determine who we are, uh, to determine how we should live, I put it this way, you will never be stable if you seek your identity in a culture that is always changing. Why? Well, for, for one thing, often the same culture that validates you today will reject you tomorrow. In our passage today, Matthew 12, we're going to see how this very thing happened to Jesus. He, he would go from great popularity with the crowds to rejection. And that rejection began with the religious leaders of his, his day, the, the Pharisees. If you recall last week, as Bill shared, he, he defended the, the grain pickers against the nitpickers, which raised their ire. Right. And then in the synagogue, he, he dared to heal a man on, on the Sabbath. And their response was nothing short of Hostile. Matthew twelve fourteen, as, as Bill shared, was the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Think about that. The Messiah was rejected by many of the religious leaders of his day. Have you ever been rejected, believer? Maybe you find yourself there this morning. You can find comfort in the fact that your Savior has been there. When you talk to Him about it, He understands. He's a merciful high priest who can give you grace and strength in the middle of your own rejection. Think about this verse. This is one of the heaviest verses in the Bible. John 1.11 Christ came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. Is that not heavy? Then what, what would Jesus' response be as the Pharisees begin to plot to destroy Him? Verse 15 tells us, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. He left. They say, was, was Jesus a coward? <laughs> this is a guy who had justified them in the synagogue on a Sabbath, right? Doing God's will. He, he's no coward. You say, why, why would he withdraw? Because it was not his hour for crucifixion. There was more to be done. You'll see that phrase, his hour, over and over in the Gospel of John. In fact, you can contrast his withdrawal here to his bold stand when the hour came. You remember John 18 when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and a band of soldiers and officers show up with weapons? 
the hour was upon them. Did, did he withdraw then? Did he run? No, quite the opposite. John 18.4 says he came forward. That's not typical behavior when you're wanted by a, a group of authorities. He, he came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. He must have said that with such supernatural boldness. It says they they fell to the ground, right? He's no coward. But for now, back to Matthew 12 and the Pharisees' rejection. Did their rejection here defeat Jesus and put an end to his ministry? Did it cause him to throw in the towel? Oh, Jesus did not seek validation from the culture around him. I like what J. Vernon McGee said here. When he was rejected, he continued on his course toward the cross to become the Savior of the world. And I want you to watch right here how his ministry continues right out of the fresh rejection. Watch what happened. Verse 15. Many followed him and he healed them all. I like a poem by Kent Keith, and this is just some selections from it. We think about Jesus continuing to minister in the face of growing rejection. Maybe this will hit home for you. People are unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you help them. Help people anyway. Give the world the best you've got and you will get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you've got anyway. Jesus continued to minister and He's healing this crowd. It says He healed all of them in that crowd. Verse 16 says, after they were healed, He ordered them not to make Him known. Now, some of us, especially if we're in marketing, are like, why? Right? Like, today we're like, put it on Facebook, man. Blast it out. You'll go viral. Why did He tell them not to tell? Well, at least three reasons, I, I believe. First one goes back to the fact it's not his hour. In direct conflict with the leaders about these healings would not serve God's purposes right now. So guys, keep it quiet. Second, many in those crowds did not yet understand the true nature of his mission. Why he came. So if they had gone out preaching about him at this point, it likely would have been just about a miracle worker. But missing where he's headed, the cross and his resurrection, right? But thirdly, Matthew tells us all of this fulfilled prophecy. Even this moment of rejection and Jesus' response. The series is called Promise Made, Promise Kept. And Matthew over and over shows us how Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. About 700 years earlier, the father spoke of the son. In Isaiah chapter 42, starting at verse 1. That, that's the verses that are quoted here. Verse 18. Behold my servant, 
whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. Do you hear those words of the Father for the Son? I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Mark 3, 7 through 12, a parallel passage to where we're at, tells us there were Gentiles from Tyre and Sidon in the crowd that day. 19, he, he will quarrel. He will not quarrel, excuse me, or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. You see this in his quiet withdrawal, right? In his command, do not tell, do not publicize. One of my favorite verses, verse 20, and we'll come back to it at the end. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. You see this in his compassion on the physically and spiritually broken even in the face of his rejection, right? Until he brings justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Jesus fulfilled prophecy. But I also believe that prophecy fulfilled Jesus. In a different sense of the word fulfilled. Like, you know when you eat a fulfilling meal and it it satisfies you? It gives you strength. I believe God's written word satisfied Jesus and strengthened him in his trials. You say Jesus is fully God. How can how can he be strengthened? He's also fully man, right? You don't believe that? Let me take you to the Garden of Gethsemane later in his ministry. He's praying to his father as he faces the cross. Part of his father's answer is shown in Luke 22:43 there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him strengthening him listen the same one who could be strengthened by angels could surely be strengthened by God's written word we know Jesus knew it backwards and forwards right listen to this Harold Wilmington from Liberty University He said, it has been estimated that over one-tenth of Jesus' recorded New Testament words were taken from the Old Testament. One-tenth. In the four Gospels, 180 of the 1,800 verses that report his discourses are either Old Testament quotes or Old Testament allusions. I hear that and I'm like, hmm, what percentage of my speech is God's Word? But that's probably a sermon for another day, right? I'm coming back here. You say, how could this passage from Isaiah strengthen him in his rejection? And to show you, I want to go back through it point by point. Watch this and and think about how, how these words must have been like honey to Jesus in the face of his trials. Verse 18 again. Behold my servant whom I have chosen. The same one rejected by many of the Pharisees knew that he was chosen by his father to be the Messiah. My beloved, the same one hated by the Pharisees knew he was loved by his father. With whom my soul is well pleased. The same one who displeased the Pharisees with every little step knew he was well-pleasing to his Father. I'll put my Spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. 
The same one seen as a counterfeit fraud by the Pharisees knew that he was anointed and authenticated in the Spirit by his Father. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. His Father's Word bolstered his quiet confidence, which is quite different from the insecure quarreling we see with many of the Pharisees, right? A bruised reed he will not break. In a smoldering wick he will not quench. He showed mercy to the broken, to the physically and spiritually needy. Quite a contrast with many of the Pharisees. Why? Because when you're obsessed with competing and and climbing some spiritual ladder and you think you get to the top by your own self-righteousness, it is always in your best interest to push down those whom you deem Beneath you. Jesus was not in a competition with anybody. He, he knew who He was. And He came as a servant. Until He brings justice to victory. And in His name the Gentiles will hope. Listen, the same one the Pharisees sought to defeat, He knew that victory was on His side. And the same one the Jewish leaders heaped insults on knew that even Gentiles would hope in Him. Now, can you see how these words would have strengthened Him in a moment of rejection? He did not look to the culture for, for validation. I believe He clung tightly to His Father's words. You say, what's this have to do with me? Christian in 2022. Three. Thank you. Wow. Where's this year going? God's Word can also be fulfilling to believers today. Think about Matthew's readers decades after these events happened. As they started to feel heat of persecution from the outside, do you think these, these early believers found comfort in these words? I believe so. And if you've turned to Jesus in faith as your Savior, I I believe God's Word can satisfy you and and provide strength to you in your own trials as well. Let me give you one example. Just one of many. Ephesians 1. Someone comes around and implies or directly says to you, God would never accept you. Why don't you listen to Ephesians 1.6. It says, you are blessed with God's glorious grace in the Beloved. You know who that Beloved is? It's the same Beloved Isaiah spoke of. Jesus Christ. You think you're ill-equipped, believer, to face a situation. Ephesians 1 says, you are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. You're rejected by the world. Ephesians 1 says, you are chosen in Christ. When Satan brings up the darkest moments of your past to condemn you. Ephesians 1.7 says you are redeemed and forgiven in Christ. When you feel empty, Ephesians 1.11 says you have obtained an inheritance in Christ. When you think your salvation is in jeopardy, Ephesians 1.13 says you've been sealed with the Spirit in Christ. 
That's just one New Testament chapter. If you want to dive deeper into who you are in Christ, I'd encourage you, the Wednesday night prayer meeting at 6 is going through that right now. Who we are in Christ and how that should shape our prayer lives. But for now, I want to encourage you and ask you the question, do you look to the written Word of God on a daily basis, believer? If you're like our house, you've got 15 hard copies and you've got all the versions in the world right on your cell phone. And I want to show you, I, I just summarized 10 things that are true of the Word of God. There are many are to encourage you if you're not. You may want to snap a picture if you want to dive into these references, but God's Word is eternal. It's effective. It enlightens us. It equips us. It protects us. It sustains promotes growth, revives our soul, encourages us, and inspires hope. Are you getting in there daily? I want to encourage you with some tools that have helped me. These are not the only way. But if you're like me, sometimes you're easily distracted. I'll tell you something that's helped me focus when I'm in God's Word. When I'm preparing a sermon... Long before I ever open a commentary, I've got blank notebooks. And I'll open God's Word and I will write out the passage word for word. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. Then God, what are you saying here? And there's something about writing, not typing, that slows you down. It takes a while to write each word. It takes a while for you to think about what's going on here. And God, what are you saying? If you find you're easily distracted, they, that might work for you too. Another thing that helps. If you're like me, sometimes you, you read a, a whole chapter in the morning, but you know there's no way I'm going to hold on to this whole chapter throughout the day. So I usually take one verse out of that chapter and say, Lord, help me hold on to this one and, and aim to memorize it or at least a good sense of it. And throughout the day, come back and, as they say, chew the cud. You know, chew on that. Those are some things that have helped me. You may want to join Jay's Navigator's Memory Group to hide God's Word in your heart. You may want to take the verse that's in our highlights every month and say, we're going to put that on our fridge and uh, memorize that as a family. However you do it, don't, don't waste this wonderful opportunity we have. But I, I want to encourage you further. Don't only look to the written Word. Look to Jesus. What does John 1.14 say about Him? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. Jesus is the Word of God. Look to Him. And I want to close this morning with a word. A word for the weak. A word for the discouraged. What does John 12 tell us about Jesus' approach to those who are weak and broken? Here we come back to verse 20 as promised. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. I love God's timing. Uh, Carolyn bought a plant a couple weeks ago. <laughs> And it was beautiful at that point, believe it or not. Had a bloom and everything. This is what's left of it. But I think, look at this plant, and I think about bruised reed. 
broken reed, a, a bent reed. And maybe some of you feel like that this morning. <laughs> That's me. I'm broken. I'm, I'm weak. I'm tired. What does it say? A bruised reed he will not break. In fact, I think what's implied here is just the opposite. He'll take that, that bruised reed and strengthen it and restore it. Somebody needs that this morning. Somebody needs to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am that bruised reed. Restore me. He will not break it. What about the next one? A, a smoldering wick. I think about that one. I think about the old oil lamps that they would use in Bible times. And if you could imagine the, the wick on here as the, the lamp ran out of oil, just, just barely flaming and sparking, how easy it would be to just come along and, and squish it and put it out. But what does it say? It says, a smoldering wick he will not quench. Some of you feel like a smoldering wick today. It's a difficult world. He won't quench it. What's the opposite of that? Hey, this lamp is low on oil. This is what I envisioned Jesus doing parabolically here. Refilling the oil tank. Lighting the fire. Who needs that this morning? Come to Jesus. A smoldering wick he will not quench. And in backyard Arizona terms, if you have backyard fires like we did last night, it's the picture of you're getting that fire started and we use pine needles as our kindling. Those pine needles are wet and you're trying to light them and they're not lighting. What do, what do, what do I do sometimes? I'm trying to light them and I get a little flame going and then I start gently blowing, right? Not to blow it out, but to blow it up. That's the picture I, I see here of our Savior. A bruised reed He will not break and a smoldering wick He will not quench. I want to speak to those of you who are musical. How many of you know what staccato means? Yeah. Staccato, just real quick, right? Right? And, and we come to difficult situations in our lives. And when it comes to our strength, our energy, our ability, we think, man, all I got here is staccato. That's it. I don't bring much to the table. But what I want to tell you is Jesus is the one who can sustain us. Aaron was gracious enough to put the sustain pedal right here. I bring my staccato. Jesus sustains me and watch. He can sustain us. Some of my favorite verses about that. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. Somebody needs that this morning. One of my favorite verses about His sustaining is Jude 24. To Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. What's that mean? He's able to carry your salvation all the way through. Same one who began it is going to finish it. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, majesty, 
dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. Let's swing back around to where we began. You will never be stable if you seek your identity in a culture that is always changing. Look to the unchanging God. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The cool thing is, as we find who we are in Him, as we turn to Him for strength and sustenance, all of a sudden, we have something to offer the world around us out of who He is. As we close, I want to ask you this morning, when you think about who you are, and how life ought to look, what we ought to be up to, your identity. Where are you looking? Lord, thank you for this short passage. You have packed so much in here. I thank you for the truth that our our Savior fulfilled prophecy. I thank you for the encouragement and sustenance provided in the written word and, and Jesus, the word who came and dwelt among us. And I pray that if there's any anyone in here weighed down under sin that hasn't realized that death on the cross was for them, a resurrection was for them, bring them home. Help them repent and turn to the Savior for salvation. Now is the day of salvation. Bring them home, Father. For any believers who have believed but say, man, I feel like that that bruised reed or that smoldering wick this morning or that staccato note, Lord, I pray that you would restore them, strengthen them, meet them where they're at. Holy Spirit, take your word and apply it to that difficult situation they're facing right now. Light the fire again. Restore unto them the joy of your salvation. Please meet them where they're at. We thank you for your word, Lord. You are good. In Jesus' name, amen.